and welcome to episode 68 of the Cake Watch podcast, which is a podcast recorded in Brussels by a couple of people who work in Brussels in and around the EU institutions. Myself, Chris Kendall, I'm an EU official. I work for the European Union, uh, but I podcast in a strictly personal capacity. Strictly personal. Very personal, I believe. Very, very personal. Very personal. personal. (laughs) With me are... Uh, I'm Steve Bullock. I'm uh, I'm just a guitar player. <laughs> and we have a special guest on this episode. Co-host. Oh, co-host. I am a co-host. Sorry. <laughs> In typically Germanic professorial manner, I had to insert that very authoritatively. <laughs> Um, straight away. Um, right. Uh, I was known as that professor, but I changed my bio because I've had enough of being called that. Um, so I'm still a professor, though. Tanya Birdman back, and the first time in person, and it's my great privilege for the first time in person to actually record this together. That's true. We yeah. haven't actually all sat... To, and this is the first time that you and I have recorded together for a really long time, Very Steve. Long time, yeah. And now um, you're here too. So we're all sat around... Uh, a wooden drum thing here in um, Steve's dungeon. Um, we're, we're surrounded by your toys, <laughs> which have got guitars. Nothing rude, by the way. <laughs> no matter what Chris was trying to imply there. Uh, <laughs> that, that guitar looks very much like a gimp mask, actually. I mean, let's be honest. It does, it does doesn't it? Yeah. Um, they have lots of EU stickers on them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so look, we're um, Happy New Year. Um, we haven't, late. yeah. Well, it's the first podcast of the new year. It's the third Bit year. Of, not very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a strange it's a strange time. It's a strange time. Um, next week will be the UK's final week as a as a member state of the European Union, um, at least in its current stint. Um, and it's fair to say that we're all feeling slightly. I would say dejected, um, resigned. A um, little bit of wind has gone out of things for me. Um, there's a reason why we haven't been podcasting on a weekly basis, and well, several reasons really. Firstly, we don't have an awful lot to say. Secondly, <laughs> uh, we've been finding other ways in which to keep ourselves amused and entertained and distracted and sane. Um, what, what? How have you been doing it, Steve? Oh, I, I think. Uh I, you know, I, I really hate to say it, and people won't like me for this, but in a certain sense, I'm kind of, in a, in, a, in a personal level, I'm sort of slightly relieved. And I know that sounds really, I know it sounds awful, and I have to say I feel guilty about it as well. But I feel, uh, I feel slightly re- relieved, relieved. Yeah, I, I think, think that's really natural. A release is, is, is a better yeah. way of putting it. You know, we're not happy about it, but there's a release to not having to sort of keep up this energy, energy the, the focus, the, 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 the dream alive of actually being able to stop the thing. Now it's like, well, you know what? Now it's out of our hands. Yeah, and I mean, the, the and so, you know, you try to put, so I'd I, I basically sort of given up um, my business, which is a, which I run a little recording studio. And I hardly, you know, I hardly played guitar. I wasn't spending enough time with family and all that kind of stuff. And it's been, honestly, it's been a chance to kind of begin to start putting, putting those things right and figuring out what to, you know, what to do yeah. um, and all that. So, uh, that, you know, and trying to find, trying to find positives out of it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm massively fucked off by the whole thing. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, trying to find trying to trying to find positives out of it and uh, and think about think about the future, uh, you know, in a big sense, but also to get back to micro level stuff mm-hmm. about yeah. about mm-hmm. my life and my family's life and my friend's mm-hmm. life and yeah. and all of that. Um, I mean, for me, um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm being sexist and doing us first because I, I think Tanya's got a different take on this. But mm. uh, for me, uh, similarly, I've um, really stepped back. I found that I was getting very angry. I found actually over the Christmas break um, that my anger was beginning to manifest itself in really unhelpful ways, mm-hmm. and um, I, I realised that for, the, for my own sake and also, you know, my family's sake, it was time to take a bit of a step back mm. uh and put myself first and and, and 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 that's important so um my my big thing is that i'm teaching myself to um write from scratch again <laughs> that is to say i'm trying to unlearn Tw- twitter 40, three days. no 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 not that ha- literally handwriting oh, really? 40, 40 years of terrible handwriting habits mm. Uh, until now I've got a scrawl that a doctor would blush at. I mean, I have the most terrible handwriting. I use it a lot because I do a lot of note-taking at, at work. And I've decided that I need to do, do something about this. So lit, my current um, obsession is, um, is learning to write again from scratch, undoing lots of bad habits. And uh, that's great because that's very kind of here and now and yeah. direct yeah. and analogue. And you know, so that and my knitting um, are keeping me happy. <laughs> and Tanya, I was going to say with you, I mean, it, it, because of the work that you've done for EU citizens and you do for EU citizens, and, and we know that that's super relevant and ongoing, I guess it, you can't exactly step away, can you? Not in the same way. I've, no, maybe not, but I generally have three perspectives on this, maybe three, um, I guess. One is that as a citizens' rights campaigner, in a bizarre way, I feel a little bit from that perspective as Steve, because... The one thing this does do, and tragically so, but it does give some level of certainty to EU citizens because the withdrawal um, agreement should pass. And even if there were to be no trade deal, some protections should be in place. Um, And that's that's the first time is the reality. Now, I'm not saying any of that is good, quite the opposite. There are serious problems and we can come back to some of that later on perhaps. But the bottom line is for the first time there's actually some level of certainty. Um, so in that sense, you know, pleased would be absolutely the wrong word, but I recognise that it it helps uh, in some twisted way, um, even though the uh, situation, what's going to happen next week, is, is tragic to the core. Then on a more personal level, I have two different perspectives. One is that I always thought this was going to be the outcome. You could ask various people, I remember distinctly a dinner um, in 2018, we're set around with a number of very prominent Remain campaigners. And I said, it, we will Brexit. And they all were of the view that they weren't. I, I wish, I truly wish I had been wrong, but I always thought this. And I think partly because I tend to be kind of thinking this way, not negatively, but it's sort of expecting the worst. And then if it's better, I'm happy. But also I yeah. live in a part of the UK where perhaps this perspective has always been different. I think we were still stuck far too much in a London bubble. So I always assumed this would be the case. So that's the one personal perspective. uh, And that's why in some really twisted way, like Steve, I'm almost like I'm going to make a (laughs) sound now, like (laughs) 
you know, this was bound to happen. So I don't mean this positively like Steve at all. You know, I'm distraught about what's about to happen. But in a slightly twisted way, you know, I kind of expected this. But then I, on another sec- second personal level, I am very afraid about next week because I fear greatly about the increase of, or maybe not, you know, maybe I'm wrong, about what this might mean on a personal level in terms of some of the uh, hate that has been unleashed because I can already see a big increase uh, and, and new emboldenment in ways I've never, ever in over three years seen before. So it's sort of two very mixed feelings um, about next week. And actually the second one is, is a bigger issue because this isn't just about me. We can already see other um, kind of hate crimes and things yeah. against immigrants generally so I, I'm very worried because of those things. So it's a very, uh, very, very mixed bag of feelings, and I'm sure that's true for many people. On the, on the expecting it thing, I mean, I think it's always been the most, like, I've always had a, a sort of set of probabilities in my head, a percentage, probabil- pro- per- percentage probabilities, you know? And I don't think... I think we got very close to 50%, but it never got over, it never got over 50, 50% for me. So I've always, it's always been the default position. Well, the default position was no deal. We know that, but, um, the, it's always been the default that well, the, the, the Brexit, the yeah. Bre- Brexit, Brexit would happen. And we've always fought against the odds. And we always knew that we were fighting against the odds. But for me, there was a moment where the government of national unity, there was an opportunity for a government of national mm. unity which was the way out. Mm-hmm. And neither part, neither, neither Labour or the Lib Dems wanted it for different reasons. And they, couldn't do, and, and they couldn't do it. And had the parties wanted this enough, it could, have been, it could have been done. But once that opportunity went, without a majority for people's vote in Parliament, and there wasn't one, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't see how this could... I didn't, I, I didn't see the route all the way through. You know, I've been following John Worth's Flow diagrams and, yeah. and 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 also uh, you know trying to do analysis on 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 you know what are the what are the actual practical ways through. It's not good enough just to hope. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. We've got to have practical actual routes planned through it. And that that was when to me the routes kind of the routes <coughs> the routes closed off. Short short of kind of convincing a few more mm-hmm. a few more MPs to switch, but we seem to have got to the end of that the end of that 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 line there. So I think from from that moment I was. I started trying. I think I started trying to come to terms with it, and also, it came at a time where I was having. Uh, I, I wasn't in, uh, in a very good shape in terms of in terms of mental health, and I'd you know stopped doing a lot of writing and tried to step back a little bit as well. And I think actually doing 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 that at that time also led to a sort of early acceptance uh, uh, about it. You know, I think it's really it, well. I want to say interesting, but at the same time tragic and bad mm. and all sorts of other things, it, how people have reacted to, to, to this, because it's really difficult, clearly. And I've heard the view, the word failure used a lot. I disagree with that fundamentally. Of course, it's right to say that in the ultimate goal, yeah, we failed, how else would we describe this? You know, the UK will cease to be a member of the EU. But in a very short period of time, a movement has been built that has been incredibly powerful. And I want people to remember this. It might not give you very much hope in what's about to happen next week, but you should take hope from it because it's phenomenal. And it can and, be done again. And it, can and it be done could again. be done again. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the bottom line is I'm not going to tell anybody ever whether they should continue or not continue. 
and everyone has to make their individual choices about how and things will naturally shift because the questions are going to be different ones now. But what has been built is something that everyone involved, no matter how much disagreement there sometimes might have been, can be very proud of and should yeah, be proud of. So. Yeah. For an extended period, the UK remained a member of the EU, and that's phenomenal. And it's tragic, truly, that we didn't succeed for reasons that are very much out of our hands. Yeah. And the bottom line is there's been uh, you know, problems across the board. This, w this was preventable, full stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah? Um, but I still think people should take hope from that. And I understand why that's so very difficult, because I find it difficult. But, well, I think that, but I think pe people in particular, not organisations, I think there, there's, there's lots to pick over about organisations, particularly political parties, and where they went wrong in failing to, to, to stop this. But I, think, uh, but I think people who've been involved, uh, either who've been involved in organisations or have been involved at a, a grassroots level or who've just been, or have just been campaigning, I think, like Tanya said, should be unbelievably proud because we've taken it from a fringe thing that only, you know, the the, the it was it was seen as a, a lunatic idea that it could that Brexit could possibly be stopped. Um, you know, only only two years ago. Remember when we were doing the early podcast, Chris, and we went around and asked people the chances out of ten, and we ran into Fabian Zuleg who I like an awful lot, eh? Um, and Fabian Zuleg was like, one, one out of ten, of course it's going to happen. Get real, guys. Yeah. Don't be ridiculous. And we were like, mm, no. <laughs> yeah. You can say four out of ten, yeah, or two or, two yeah. or three out of ten, because you don't think we've got any chance, but you don't think we've got much chance. But, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion. It was that, you know, people believing that it wasn't a, fore a foregone conclusion and trying to do something about it that took it, you know, right into the mainstream where mm -hmm. the, B the BBC had a page on how a people's vote could happen or how Brexit could not happen. Yeah. Um, and you remember that, I mean, we all, we all certainly remember the times when you, you couldn't get you couldn't get any media <coughs> coverage of anything remain for, for love no money. It was impossible, you know. Yeah. And people should be really proud of that. Oh, we should, you know. No, I, I think, um, look, most people are going to be listening to this um, probably in the final few days um, of the week, of the last week of January. And I think it's important to say that you know, we each need to find a way of getting through the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to be quite difficult. I know it's going to be difficult for me. I'm going to... Uh, deal with it by burying my head in the sand <laughs> i'm going to on, on on friday next week i should be at home i'll be working from home and i intend to sort of play with the kids and go to bed early and sleep through it and and just ignore it's happening but at the same time um this week i got an invitation um at work um from um a, a group of english churches in mm. brussels and also the, the the chapel of europe which is now a beautiful old church in, on, church, in, on yeah. van merlin um inviting people to uh, a service to say um yeah basically saying look um we are going to mark this event when we, we, we're not just going to ignore it we're going to say well, look, this has happened we're going to give thanks for the last 40 years we're going to you know offer people a chance to find some peace we're going to look at what you know we're going to pray for the future you know. now i'm not religious um but boy this really this really moved me and and it's moving me even thinking about it and and that makes me think to myself you know 
okay, I'm going to bury my head in the sand. I'm going <laughs> to pretend it's not happening. It's probably not the most super healthy way of dealing yeah, with maybe it. Maybe not. I, I do think that... I think it's important that we acknowledge that this is going to be a difficult time for many of us. It really is. Mm. Because we, a lot of us have really sunk a lot, almost everything, into this fight. This has been the fight of, of, of our lives for many of us. It really has, literally. Mm, yeah, you know? yeah. And um, so I, I think... I don't know. It's. I think we need to understand that it's not necessarily just all going to be gone at the end of next week. That we're going yeah, to it's need. A process, yeah. You know, and and you know the Remain movement is likely to. We don't know where it's going to go. We're not going to discuss that now. That's another conversation to be had. But it'll probably splinter. It'll go off in different directions. Some of us will will, will go in, in different places. I think it's important that we find ways, each of us in our own way, just to find some kind of closure and healing mm. um, from this period and then look into where we go next. And I, I don't know how we're going to do that. I'm not sure if this podcast, for example, will continue. <laughs> probably not in its in, in, in its current form. I think we're probably going to mothball it, bring it out occasionally if, if, if needs be. I'm going to move into a different kind of phase. I've started blogging again. I'm, I'm in a more reflective way than a campaigning way. We'll, we'll, we'll all find ways of dealing with it. But I just think it's important that this, this la- the last podcast that we do while the, EU, uh, while the UK is still an EU member state, I think we just need to say we, I think, are going to find ways of, 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 of managing it and we would encourage yeah. anybody listening to this, don't just suppress those feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Own yeah. them. Deal with them however you you need to deal with them, but but that's fine. We're all here and, for that. And, and there's no recipe for that, right? You know, you're going to have to find your way of doing that, and I think it has to be your way. And mm-hmm. if it's Chris's way, that's that's fine. I don't necessarily know this yet. I'm still in in a bit of two minds or two options of what it might look like. But to me, it has always been about two things. One is the EU citizens sort of angle broadly. You know, it confirms, and again, we can come back to that later, maybe in a sense, how we've been outcast and since <laughs> the election campaign now know from Boris Johnson that apparently we're not at home in the UK. So that's the one angle, which is personal as well as a campaigner angle. So it's sort of two sides, really. And then the more personal angle, even, that, of course, to me, this is also a confirmation of every shit I have had uh, for the last, uh, actually prior to the referendum, four years or so, from minor Twitter insults to uh, event, incidents that involve the police. So that is a different having to come to terms with it. So at the moment, I'm picturing myself wearing my proud foreign country T-shirt and a bespoke necklace that I haven't had made yet, but I'm still thinking about what should be on it. So let's see if that's going to be the vision. But, you know, I'm going to own the fucking shit out of this is at the moment my view. Um I've got I've got a black armband. I made myself a black armband. I don't know if I'm going to wear it. It's a little bit on the nose, but I might. I might. Certainly on Friday next week, I think I'm going to wear it. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is the thing that's tempered my acceptance of it is uh, is the thought of everyone home. You know, that's the, and that that's quite a weird. Like you say, the the withdrawal agreement brings a certain amount of certainty. Mm-hmm. Not enough, but a, but a certain amount of certainty to UK citizens in the EU as well, like me. Um, and so you feel you feel uh, naturally you feel a sense of relief about that, um, but you think of everybody at you think of everybody at home. Um, I mean, I think of you, and I think of the citizens in the in the, the UK who are dealing with it as well. 
I mean, I think, yeah, Friday, Friday itself can be really... Could be, could be very difficult for people and need to look after themselves. But um, maybe, maybe just on that note, you know, if you really are struggling, then do talk to someone, please. I mean, not to turn this into something no, really, no. really uh, hefty, but it's worth saying that there's always support there. So seek it out, um, and that's just worth saying because yeah. sometimes you don't know that you're struggling, and it suddenly yeah. just bursts yeah. out. And then you know you should uh, talk to a friend or talk to me. Talk to me if, you, if you're listening to this, and that means something to you. Talk to me. Send me a direct message. My direct messages are open on Twitter at autocrat o double t o c r a t strictly personal capacity. DM me. No, I mean I'm serious yeah. because you know we've, we've. I think we all know that there there was an incident last week where where somebody. Um, had, had clearly reached the end of, of his particular path and, and wanted, to, and I, 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 it's not worth. Nothing is worth that. Please, if 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 you if, if we're not going to belabor the point, but if if you're feeling that way, talk. Just talk to somebody. Anybody. We're, we're there. Anybody. You know. Yeah. Seriously. I'm actually I'm actually left with a quandary on Friday for personally for me because I would like to spend it uh, hiding under a blanket. I have to say, but. It's my brother's stag party the next day in Newcastle. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> Daniel's laughing at me. <laughs> so it looks like I might have to... It looks like I might end up spending it at my brother's house in South Shields. Maybe I'm going to crash a, the yeah. stag, too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe um, or, or maybe you should Or maybe you're on a... Maybe on a train just about to pull into Newcastle. <laughs> but I'm thinking of still going in the morning for the stag party, travelling all, travelling all morning so that... So that I'm not there on the actual moment, you know, which seems silly as well. I mean, that's the thing. You have lots of you have lots of thoughts that in themselves seem silly, but they're very genuine at the moment. You know, yeah. nothing, nothing, nothing you think at the moment or feel at the moment is silly. It's all it's all yeah. real and it's all serious. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, look, um, we, we, we're moving, to, I think, naturally towards a discussion of what you did, Steve, to cope. During a particularly difficult period of depression, clinical depression, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's what yeah. you had to call it that. That's, that's what, what you're suffering is. from. Yeah, absolutely. And you dealt with it in a certain way. And we're sat amongst the evidence of that. Because <laughs> right next to me, I'm trying not to tread on this ridiculous array of pedals um, <laughs> that do stuff to your guitars. I don't know what. Should we talk a little bit about that? Because I, mean, I think that that. That then links into your work, Tanya, too, because what you've... Well, why don't you guys explain what it is that you've done, Steve, and how it links to... No, I, I will say this, because okay. Steve has done something absolutely amazing. Um, and I might just tear up right no. now, oh, uh, myself, because it has been amazing. He recorded an album, and he can tell you about that, indeed, himself. But, yeah, he, he gave it to help protect uh, the rights of EU citizens at home in the UK. So that's been incredible. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in a record. Do you want to hear a bit of it? Yeah. Okay.
So, Steve, how did you manage to persuade the clangers to come in as guest vocalists? <laughs> He means a little whistling arpeggio, arpeggio thing. Actually, you know, I look, actually I was just saying that I, I uh, I've really offended Tony. I looked for I look, I looked for an no. eff- I looked for an effect that would do that kind of um, that random, slightly electronic arpeggio thing for weeks. Actually, I looked at different guitar effects and stuff like that to do it, um, and then eventually someone in my band said, "If you want random random." sort of synth arpeggios why do you just play random arpeggios on a keyboard so I just kind of sat stabbing randomly at the at, at, at a couple of notes for the whole thing and then sped it all sped it all up so it sounded random so that's the clangers effect that you get there <laughs> no I thought that was um, uh, you, you you described it as your standing on the top of a mountain um, moment um, sort of Sigur Ross style Definitely Sigaroth style. I mean, I wouldn't deny for a second it was Sigaroth style. Uh, which I think that works for me, yeah. Sigaroth were really important to me in music, though, because they were one of the first bands I heard that were uh, beautiful and heavy at the same time. And they were really unashamedly beautiful. They didn't try... You know, sometimes you get sometimes you get people who make very beautiful music. Uh, you know, I love Iron and Wine. I love Bell and Sebastian, both of whom make very, very beautiful music. Um, and uh, they wouldn't deny that they're trying I don't think they would deny that they're trying to make beautiful music but it's certainly not heavy and you know the a- accusations of that kind of stuff being sort of fair and art schooly is 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 sort of fair fair criticism that I don't think I don't think the people who make it would mind that kind of criticism either and say yeah of course it is that's what that's, you know that's our background and or, or that those were the scenes that we were that, that we were part of and I I'm I like heavy music. I'm an electric guitar player. Um, I like rock music, but um, but yeah, Sigaroff really. I remember seeing them on on Jules Holland. There was a famous performance when they played two songs on Jules Holland, like 2006. It's when they just released Tack, and 2005. And yeah, I was just completely blown away by the combination of of beauty, but really genuinely heavy at the at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So how how long were you working on on all of this? Be, I'm like a rock journalist. I'm like a rock journalist. Finally, I'm doing an interview for the end of this. <laughs> finally, <laughs> new new uh, future career. <laughs> well, in about um, there were a few events that led to it. Um, one of them was that uh, so my, my uh, so so it was made beginning pretty much beginning in January last year. So pretty much a year ago from where we are now, when I started making it. But before that, um, um, my dad had died in 2017, and it took a long time to get stuff sorted out with his will and, 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 and stuff like that, a very long time. And then, but one thing we had managed to get sorted out is that we, we, he had a vintage MG, a 1937 MG, um, which was a sort of beloved family heirloom, which he'd bought when he was in his 20s. Um, and with a very heavy heart, we decided that we, between uh, my sisters and my brother and, and me, we decided that we had to sell it because we couldn't afford to restore it. And it was in terrible shape and we couldn't afford uh, the sort of long-term costs of, of, uh, of keeping it and transporting it and stuff. And we talked to a few, uh, we talked to a few car museums um, but they said they basically didn't have the capacity to do the to do the restorations at the moment. They've got a queue of 
all car museums have a queue of restorations waiting to be done and they never have the money to do them all, you know, so they're slow moving. Um, so we decided to sell it and we sold it to a lovely restorer and collector who uh, who was very nice and is uh, keeping us updated with, uh, with it and so on, which was really nice. We know it went to a, a good home. Um, and anyway, when, so we got a few grand each from the sale list, it didn't go for, it was not priceless, it didn't go for an awful lot, and um, we got a few grand from each of these things, and I thought, well, sh- you know, it, it shouldn't just go into a, a fungible pot, I should actually... Go out and spend, buy some guitars. Buy, I should, well, I should buy, buy something tangible with the money from the, this very, very tangible thing that we all we all grew up with as part of our lives as well. So I went and bought a couple of guitars that I'd always wanted and that I never would have... Well, one guitar I'd always wanted, which was a Paisley uh, Blue Flower Telecaster, which you can see here, which incidentally my dad would have hated because he was very much a man's man um, and wouldn't have enjoyed the, the pink flowers and stuff. But, um, but that's kind of part of our relationship as well, the fact that I would go and buy that to be contrary to as well. But I'd always wanted to buy one of them. I'd nearly bought one four or five times. Um... So, uh, Stay, point to it so I can put this on Twitter. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that that one, and I tracked one down. It was the end of a line. I, tra- I tracked one down to to Bruges, and I, I went on this actually amazing, lovely trip to Bruges to get it. And Bru- I'd been to Bruges quite a few times with my dad as well, and it was somewhere he loved. So I went on a bit of a pilgrimage there to get it. And the other one I got was uh, was this white Stratocaster. Uh, which is an Ed O'Brien signature Fender Stratocaster. Um, and Ed O'Brien is the one of the guitarists in Radiohead. And I'm a huge Radiohead fan. And this has lots of this has a couple of things about it, one of which is that it has a built-in sustainer, uh, which means you can make the, the strings sustain essentially infinitely and create these kind of cello and violin-like sounds that you can't normally normally create with a guitar. So I bought this, and then because um, I thought it would be nice for the studio, and it would uh, it would be uh, it would be interesting, be something different, and something 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 interesting to to go and play with. And around the same time, my 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 doctor had said, "Look, Stevie, you have to do something to take your mind off Brexit. Just you know, it's just continuous negativity with no release, no relief, no real payoff. You have to." Just find something that takes your mind off of it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is, but you have to stop, and you have to do something else that makes you forget about it. So I was looking around for things to do, and I thought, okay, well, I've got lots of effects pedals that I've acquired over the years <laughs> that are just in boxes in the in the cellar. I'm going to get them all out and try them all, and catalogue them, and decide whether to keep them or to sell them or if there are any that would be useful for any of my friends that I think that might be might find useful um, and I know what I've got as well um, and it's an excuse to build a pedal board so I put them all together so I can really have a they're in situ and I can try them with each other and and and, and so on so I did this and I, what I found is I had lots of echo ped, delay pedals echo pedals um, that I tried and never got to grip really with using and I accidentally ended up with a couple of them on at the same time and with this guitar with that has infinite sustain and started getting these kind of just really big sort of yes. uh, breathy, kind of like synth, you know, like synth string. There's definitely a kind of 80s synth string thing yeah. about mm-hmm. it, you know. 
but it's very un guitar like I remember when like you first from yeah, it, yeah I remember you sending me a couple of early examples when you would first because I, I thought oh well, this is good you, you, you're into it you, you found something that you're into because you'd sent me a Oh, this is this is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's clearly mm-hmm. something that you'd got your teeth into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just really fell down. I really, really fell down a rabbit yeah. hole with it, and then started. I mean, realised that ambient guitar was a thing that I hadn't discovered. I firstly, I thought I'd discovered something, and it turns out I hadn't discovered it. And lots of people have been doing it for years. Not least Mogwai, who I'm now getting, who I'm now getting into, who I should have been getting into in the late nineties. Uh, when I was at Union Scotland, would have been a much better time to have got into Mo- to begin getting into Mogwai. Um, but yes, I discovered that it's a thing and started looking into uh, techniques and, and and buying a buy and then buying. <laughs> I didn't end up selling any pedals. This has definitely been a net cost in terms of pedals. Uh, but that's great because uh, my my Imelda Markov tendencies towards collecting <laughs> pedals is a is, is a. Yeah, I, I, Chris is taking some photographs. We might have to add some of them to the podcast late. Well, actually, you, Steve, you did write some threads as well on Twitter, didn't you, about the kind of guitar journey behind the album? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because... And, and the, the, well, yeah. the more technical, I guess, yeah. technical side of it, right? Uh, yeah. And this, this was new for me because I, I've always loved Kate and I'm a sound engineer as well, so, you know, I read articles called Microphone of the Month and things like that, you know, so I'm, I'm happy with my to have my geek head on about this. What was weird about this was having been a rock and blues guitarist for what, 25, 25 years. For that, you go hunting for the for hunting for great rock and blues sounds, you know that you that you've heard and that you have in your head. Um, and this wasn't this was really not like. And then you then you then you impose your playing on those on those sounds, you know. Was this was completely different. The playing completely came from the sounds. It was about so so how it actually happened is that, that once I found this once I got this combination of pedals with this freaky sound that I'd never made before um, uh, I just lay down on the floor for a few days <laughs> genuinely for a few days with my guitar and just made these sort of whale noises and cello <laughs> sounds and you know all this kind of weirdness and then um, and then I thought you know I'd, I'd, I'd better I'd better record and then well gradually sort of stuff started coming I just called you have to play something so you play something and stuff starts coming out and you start coming back to the the same thing um and then I thought well you know this is these sound this is very relaxing this is doing exactly what my doctor told me to do and it's really helping I had depression for a long time but I hadn't had exa- I hadn't had anxiety issues to the to the extent that I had you know um really didn't want to go out of the house didn't want to see anybody um was very stressed very easily and uh, snappy and all this um, uh, and I had a, sh- a sh- kind of shocking new year where I'd ended up locking myself going away with friends and then locking myself away and yeah it was dreadful um, but then yeah so I thought well I'd better record I'd better record this so that I can listen to it because this is really helping me but I can't lie on the floor with my guitar all the time so i better record this so I can listen to it later to chill my chill myself out so I did and then it sort of turned into a I thought, well, maybe I could put some bass on it. <laughs> or maybe some drums or something. Maybe I'll do some overdubs, because I've got an idea about that middle bit, and that would be cool. And I found, and then and I kept finding new sounds. So each track on the album, it comes from having found a sound. And then the, and then the, the music itself has completely come out of that sound. It's come, out, come about as a result of the, of, the, of the sound, and it's come about sort of largely by accident as a as a result of that and I mean there's there's some bits where it was very deliberate I had something in my head that I, that 
you know, individual sounds on it, whether it was something that I, I really wanted specifically. Like, um, uh, which one? What's it? Uh, oh, what's... Yeah, like, You're Not Alone was originally called Grims- Grimsby. <laughs> um, because it has these, um, and the, the sort of, it's got some weird noise in it, and the noises are kind of meant to be seagulls. Um, I was trying to find a way to create, to make seagully noises with a, with a guitar <laughs> by tapping my, tapping my plectrum on the high strings high up and, and stuff like that. So there's a few things where I deliberately went after a sound, but pretty much all the chord sequences and melodies and so on just came out of, came out of that. And then I, you know, I thought, well, look, this has really helped, the process has really helped me. And I was listening to it to go to sleep, you know, when I couldn't sleep, I was, I was putting it, putting on, uh, one or two of the songs, and they weren't really mixed or anything. Um, and I thought, well, actually, maybe they would, maybe it might help other people with anxiety. And there's a fuckload of it about at the moment, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe it would, maybe it would help others to to hear it as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we said about. So then, then I had I had the idea. I mean, who who has the most anxiety? Who's had the most anxiety for the last three years? Um, um, it's definitely people who are dependent on citizens' rights stuff. The EU citizens in the UK and UK citizens in the EU. And Tanya had EU citizens' champion going had been going for a bit over another year of that. By that point, maybe when you first it was last summer, really think, sort yeah. of yeah, it yeah. was a year, I think. Um, yeah, so it was almost yeah. Of course, it was a year because we did the video. Sorry. We did the video, mm, mm. Um, uh, the trailer, which then went into a transition period. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, the trailer we did was for the one-year birthday, basically, of EU Citizens Champion, and that was uh, where we announced... It was a sort of a celebration video, really, for uh, EU Citizens Champion and the work that it had enabled with donations from many of you. Um, you know, big thank you again for that as well. But at the end of it, that was the first time it sort yeah. of became official. So you would have contacted me a while before that, and I got to listen into a bit of a draft of the yeah, of the yeah. of the album prior to when it was finished. Although it, at that stage, I think that was later than Chris's first listen, probably. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So it was a bit of a sort of a pre-version. So yeah, there was a bit of work before then. And I think I think like a lot of people, a lot of British people, we just. I, I just can't believe what my country has done to people, you know. And that was that was that feeling was part of the driver for wanting to put it out through EU Citizens Champion as, as well, you know. That some sen- yeah, I mean, some sense of responsibility that it was my country that's called that's that's done this to that's 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 done this to people as well. But then we said, but but one thing I really wanted, we we talked about the very very it was almost the first thing we talked about was that if we did it, we wanted one hundred percent to go to to go to the three million to go uh, and it not to be. I don't. People do charity music all the time. It's great. It's really great that people do charity music. It's excellent mm-hmm. that people do charity music. But the reality with how music is distributed now is that either. A significant portion of the cost would have to be mani- would have to go towards manufacturing CDs, which isn't cheap, um, and printing artwork and all that kind of stuff. Um, and if you release it as a download through the uh, you know the usual areas, 
uh, the usual uh, streaming services and iTunes and all that kind of stuff, the amount that goes to uh, the artist is absolutely, absolutely minuscule. So, you know, we took talking about fractions of a penny mm-hmm. for for, for mm-hmm. a play of the whole album mm-hmm. uh, on Spotify. So, when, you know, when I, re- I know some people are a bit frustrated that they can't get through iTunes and Spotify, but there's, there's literally almost zero point in doing it financially. Because um, so far, we've, uh, from, from people... We haven't actually said that it's available on the ease. I was going to say, we went in a second, you need to <laughs> yeah. tell us how yeah. we can yeah. get it. We really should have mentioned that. Yeah. We're not very you know, we're not, very, we're not salespeople, no. right? Don't worry, we're, we're, just, we're, we're, we're coming just, to it. We're coming yeah. to yeah. it. You're it's, giving the It's the high point. What I was going to say at some point also is, just in case you haven't actually even heard a word about EU Citizens Champion, uh, you know, the, this is a campaign I founded in the summer of 2018, but all the funds uh, raised from the fundraiser part of it, it isn't just a fundraiser, it's also an awareness uh, campaign in many ways but the fundraiser part of it all the funds go directly to the three million which is the leading ngo fighting for the rights of eu citizens uh, at home in the uk and i don't see a penny of it so um any of the money donated goes straight to them and it has funded a variety of things from rent for uh, the office to uh, staff time for the new charity settled um, which uh, helps vulnerable EU citizens throughout the UK to apply for settled status um, and many other things in between. So that's how we got to talk about yeah. it. Um, and, um, yeah, there, there is, and this is a, a great thing also made possible by lots of volunteer time, a, a new platform um, for charity-type organisations where money can be raised, where what Steve has described earlier the cut bit doesn't yeah. happen, basically. Um, but because it's a new kind of newly developed platform, it has a few teething problems sometimes still, and the developers know about it. They are fantastic people. Um, but that's how we could make it work, with a few backdoor routes that sometimes might not seem particularly... <laughs> yeah, involving Dropbox and things it, like that. You know, yeah. it might look to you like we're total idiots, um, <laughs> and that's fine. You can think that. Yeah. I have no problem with that. But the bottom line is every single penny yeah. um, goes... Uh, to the three million and uh, of course that's also only possible because Steve has so generously donated uh, this in the way he has exclusively through the EU Citizens uh, Champion website but then it didn't didn't cost me anything out of pocket to make you know I bought pedals for it I still have the pedals and I'm still using them. Still, I, um, I owned micro. I own a recording studio, so it costs me time in my own. In my I, own. I recording. wasn't making a point so much about time, but I think yeah. about your generosity uh, as a Steve, as a Steve person. Steve's you know. MG's generosity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah, you to Steve. Yeah, that. and, that, that, and that, that. Absolutely, yeah. that's definitely what started it all. No, but seriously, I mean, I, I, thank you, Steve. Thank you, um, Tanya. I mean, the work that you do. Uh, I, I speak as an EU citizen as well as a UK citizen, and. and the son of an EU citizen, a senior citizen living in the UK, who really, um, there must be very many people like them. There are very, very many people like her who honestly don't understand the trouble that they now face uh, as a result of this horrible saga. And the work that you do is so important to people like that. Uh, I could not be more proud of the fact that we, in our, in our humble way in, on this podcast, have, I hope, contributed towards publicity for your campaign. Oh, yeah, no, and, absolutely. Thank you. And, you know. and thank you then to Steve for, for, for using this, this thing that gave you 
such an important lift. At a it, and it really point. did. I mean, it really saved. I feel Taking like it saved that. me. You know? Yeah, I think. It, I mean, I know how how I was extremely worried for you. Um, I, I really was, and, and I know how down you were. And so it's so important that you were able to find this outlet and then build on that and use it as a way of generating some money for a campaign that, my God, is so important. So let's just talk about quickly, how do people get a hold of the album? Okay. Um, So, I mean, it's really, for most people, it works really easily. Um, So you just go to the EU Citizens Champion website um, and there's a link on there to the album. Yeah, yeah, we can, I'm sure, put that in. (laughs) I was going to say put that in the description. But EU Citizens Champion website and on there is a link to uh, a kind of download, donate to download, sorry, um, page and it gets you to a a donation page. And once you've made a donation, you automatically get the link to the download. For a couple of people, it might have ended up in spam or there might have been another issue. If that's the case, just get in touch. Uh, there's yeah. an email address. We can sort it we out can send in, you the links, in, yeah. a, in a different way. So I can check donations or we can give you a completely different route. Uh, one of the problems that sometimes happens, and I'm saying this because of the variety of listeners, with, there's sometimes a postcode issue. But we can also uh, get around that. So if it doesn't work or if there were any issues, just get in touch. Um, but, yeah, it's really easy just from the website. Yeah. And you can you can donate, and you don't have to listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can yeah, donate you directly. Can totally yeah, donate. I would, I would encourage you. You to know, listen to it. one of my <laughs> items on the, you know, if you want to become an Eastern's <laughs> hero, I think I called it. I better check that before. You know, if you donate a thousand pounds, yeah, you'll be a hero for life. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. We had to come up. Uh, that's not actually on Steve's page at all. But on another one, you have to kind of label different suggestions mm. for donations. And I thought a hero maybe <laughs> that we qualifies. Should, we should say as well yeah. that, that uh, you can pay whatever you want. Yes, for this Liter- yes. literally any literally any any amount. And I'm very pl- I'm really pleased that people have uh, used this uh, both to donate very small amounts and to donate very big amounts. And I'm very glad because I wanted anybody who wanted it to be able to have it mm-hmm. as, as, as well and therefore you can literally donate a, a one pound if you if you if you want to and that's absolutely fine and we've but we've also had some extraordinary mind-blowingly large donations of 100 200 and I think one donation for 500 pounds which made me have to go and sit down for a little while <laughs> when, I, when I saw it. Well, it's just incredibly kind of people. Um, I mean, you know, th- this is an experience that I have had on several occasions with the main fundraiser, you know, the enormous generosity from some people. And, you know, I can't overstate how grateful I am for what you're doing because it really does make a real s- genuine difference in people's lives. You are helping to protect every single, you know, in a sense by extension, but every single EU citizen at home in the UK by facilitating the work of the three million in this way with your donations, uh, whether they are small or whether they are large, you know, collectively, they make a real difference. Um, And so, yeah, thank you. Actually, I want to say as well that um, since uh, EU Citizens Champion has exclusive rights to distribute this for uh, for a year, we said initially, um, this also means that if if there are any filmmakers or uh, ad people or anything like that who are listening and want to use the music for uh, for their for their stuff, uh, then all uh, all royalties would go to the 
uh, would would go to the three million through EU Citizens Champion as well. Um, so uh, if it, yeah, so if anybody is thinking, I would love to support this, but uh, how could I really support this? And they happen to be a big filmmaker or ad agency <laughs> um, and want to. Uh, uh, Want to, want to use want to use the music or a bit of the music for for any projects like that? Uh, please get in touch with us as well. Thank you. So, um, tell you, um, talk talk to us a little bit about the work that's currently being done in support of EU citizens. Yeah. So um, maybe I'll I'll start with the wider point about the general election. So I've already said that in a, in a twisted, bizarre way, while the outcome of that has meant that Brexit will go ahead, we do have a certain level of certainty now. Um, and that is helpful in, in the sense of planning purposes and knowing what we're really kind of fighting for now. Because before there was always various other question marks around that, you know, the possibility of an ordeal scenario, which would genuinely have been catastrophic now would relate to a trade no deal scenario if it were still to come and I hope it won't obviously but the citizens rights you know assuming we tick it all off as it were with the withdrawal agreement you know that bit should now be protected and provide some certainty but we have always known that settled status is nothing like what the government and Brandon Lewis in particular would like to tell us and do tell us every single day it's not fine and it's not working. Um, so I was looking at ways in which we could actually move the discussion forward, perhaps. And I was talking with the three million um, about this. You know, as you know, maybe, but you know, I'm, I'm not officially sort of part of the group. I'm outside of that a bit for for various reasons. But for the purpose of this discussion, I was genuinely actually. In, in a sense, for the first time, what I normally am in normal life, a researcher rather than yeah. <laughs> a citizen's rights campaigner or activist. And that was a slightly different perspective on it because I'm doing some work for work around uh, this now and I'm very grateful um, that I can do this. Um, and so this was a slightly different take and a slightly different perspective. And so I was able to say, right, OK, I actually have some time now through the kind of research route to do some actual work for you, in a sense. And what, what, what is needed? And the immediate answer was very quickly, oh, we need data. We need actual evidence so that when the government comes and says oh, everything's fine, um, we have um, something to answer that isn't just anecdotal, because we have a lot of anecdotal evidence about problems, but... You know, so we had uh, decided that to try and help with that, you know, I would do a survey and conduct a survey about the EU settlement scheme, which you might know as settled status scheme, um, where everyone has to apply to. Um, and I was very interested in the process itself. So the survey includes lots of questions on the process, but also the wider impact of having to apply for settled status and Brexit more generally. So it also includes questions about identity and about a sense of belonging and so on. So that was the last immediate work that I've done. And the survey was conducted, and this was by complete coincidence, during the election period, which means there's some very interesting evidence in there, in a sense by accident, specific to that period as well, which kind of is, is interesting. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know if you want to hear a bit about the, yeah. the outcome. Yeah, very much. Um, yeah. So, you know, there are lots of things that, that are not a particularly big surprise. And in many ways, that's a kind of a good thing because it means both for problems, but also some of the more positive things. I'm, I'm very relative about this. Hang on a minute and I'll tell you more. But, you know, we, we've kind of known some of this. So it's, it's helpful to understand, yes, there are actually patterns to some of this and it's useful to have actual evidence and statistics. So what I meant with positive... Well, I mean, ultimately, my view is there's very little that's positive about settled status because it's an application scheme for people who are already at home in the UK. It shouldn't exist. Yeah. But in terms of the actual process, what the survey does show us is that for the majority of people, it does work in terms of the process. What I mean by that is by the end of it, they have a status. So the process, getting them from no status to a status, works that doesn't mean settled status works. It doesn't mean there is no impact. It just means that the bits of the process work for a majority of people. But for many, many people, it doesn't work or it's very fraught and has lots of problems with it. And that is what I'm, of course, most interested in and what the three million are also most interested in, because in all likelihood, these are the most vulnerable people, people who don't maybe even know anything much about settled status, all these things. So what we can learn um, in terms of some of the bigger issues is there are problems with the ID scanning. There are issues uh, where names don't match up because of special characters, double names. Dutch people in particular seem to have a problem, women, um, because of maiden names and the way they are presented on the passport. All of these are fairly known issues. So it's useful, again, to have some data, but we were kind of aware. I'm much more concerned about some of the things we didn't know so much yet or only had some suspicions about. So, for example, one of the big issues is that 33% uh, of people are already, uh, sorry, are um, being asked to provide additional evidence. That figure is higher than in the test phase. Um, that worries me. You well, know, it should have, it, it should have, it was worrying then, yeah. but I mean, all of this was meant to be automatic. People were being picked up and checked automatically. Mm. So why is this figure so high? If anything, it was high in the test phase. So why hasn't it gone down, but yeah. up going by the respondents from the survey? Um, that worries me. Um, what's worrying within that figure is that most of the people who are being asked for additional evidence come from specific groups. Unemployed people, again, that's maybe not so surprising in some senses because they might not have the right sort of or the most immediate records for the last few years, but still students, pensioners, self-employed. So again, nothing much surprising in that, but that is almost what irritates me the most. It's known. Why is this happening? Yeah. Why can't there yeah. be a better system? And then the one that I really find in some ways the most striking is women are being asked considerably more frequently than men. And really? Yes. So in terms of the, if I just map female respondents against the category, I get 34 point something percent off the top of my head for women who are being asked, and 29% for men. However, on top of that, I think on top of that, because they are separate categories, we also had an other category. And other was a free text box, so people who didn't fit in the kind of drop-down boxes. And if I look at the reasons that people put in there for not placing themselves elsewhere, I think it's fair to assume that many of them are women too, because it lists things like stay-at-home mum, carer, housewife... Mm -hmm. Um, that sort of thing, more likely to be women, in some cases clearly women because they describe themselves as mother uh, staying at home. So I think it's more than 34%. Mm. 
Um, but even if it was just 34%, it's more than men, yeah. it's a worry. Um, one of the bigger issues also is clearly um, that people are already being asked to prove settled status. At this point in time, that should not be happening at all. 10.9% uh, of respondents are already being asked. They are being asked by the people you would sort of expect, banks, landlords, employers. So that I think that's why we have a kind of a double issue here. One, they're being asked in the first place, but two, it's also the Home Office, the government has essentially outsourced immigration, uh, immigration control to people who don't know, we're not experts to landlords in this, to landlords, yeah, banks yeah, and yeah, so on. Exactly. So how are they being informed? What are they doing? There are hefty fines for people who don't follow regulations. So to be honest, I can understand why people might try to almost over-regulate. Yeah, follow it, then, on, the, then, follow it on the off chance know, that it's necessary. Ex exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's a big concern. I mean, even if some of those checks maybe were supportive, I mean, some of the answers suggest that maybe the employer just asked to check, are you aware sort of thing. Mm. But even if we halved the figure, you know, if it's anything like reality, we might very quickly be talking about 100 or 200,000 people. That's the problem with settled status. It might seem small in a survey, but overall it's 3.6 million people. So very quickly you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Mm. So these are big issues uh, in terms of the status. But one of the main findings is also that people have no trust in the status, no trust in the government. Even people who have a status don't feel yeah, better. Sure. They feel relieved at point of decision because, okay, at least that's sorted. You know, that's the sort of tenor. But they're not happy. Yeah, they're not happy. So basically, it's it would be much better to refer to it as unsettled status because it's a more fitting description of what this has done. It hasn't given it fundamentally people, unsettled people, Exactly. Yeah. It has fundamentally, even those who have this status now. And one reason why people don't trust it is because there's no physical document. Um, in fact, nearly 90% of respondents, and that's uh, including those who didn't even apply, but they were asked this too because they could still have a view on this, do not believe that a digital status only is sufficient. So the fact that um, yeah this isn't happening is a serious isn't a serious problem. There are concerns about the website not working. There are concerns about in fact it sometimes hasn't worked. But also it's a question not just for EU citizens but also employers potentially. As it stands, there is a, a ten-step process for employers in future to check the status of EU citizens. The three million have a breakdown of this. Check it out. I'm sure it's somewhere on their Twitter feed. Um, and you know. Who is going to do this? Imagine you are the business owner of a business that has a tight turnover of, of, of staff. Who has the resources to do this? So in a sense, never mind the concerns about EU citizens, but from an economic business perspective, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so that needs to change. And then on top of all of that, which I think already tells a pretty dire story, is the story of the wider impact. And um, this was measured through questions that were deliberately designed in such a way that they are statements about quite similar things to try and tease out shades in opinions as well. So not very interested just in blunt yes-no statements, doesn't help us very much, but to get a real sense of the strength of feeling to kind of try and get these shades out. And they are all predominantly very negative. So people are not happy. They don't think about their future in a positive way at all. And more critically, I think most critically in relation to these questions, they no longer feel at home in the UK 
and they feel basically act actively disintegrated. Yeah. Mm. So effectively, Brexit and the application process, this is the point, it was not just a registration. I think many people would have had no problem with that. But an application mm. has effectively disintegrated people. Yeah. There's been a rupture, a real unbelonging of people. Yeah. So that's a, you know, a much wider reaching impact. It cuts across families, it cuts across communities. And all the while, the government just puts its collective head uh, in the sand yeah. and pretends this is not happening. Yeah. Did, you find a different, did you find a difference regionally or so across the countries of the UK? Or? I'm going to do a little bit more work on this on various aspects of the survey. So we've presented it now as a nationwide sort of with, with the main headlines, but there is more to do on the mm. regional differences. So we have respondents from all the d nations of the UK. Um, actually kind of pretty much almost in proportion to how actually the actual split is. So this mm. is an interesting thing to think about because um, there are some differences uh, in, in the regions. And we have had um, a good number of responses from Scotland as well. And for example, for them, there clearly is a, a difference in opinion that they recognise very strongly how the Scottish government has tried to drive a different narrative, has tried to help them and support them much more in a fundamentally different way from the UK government. Uh, similarly, there are a lot of positive comments for London. They come out in the free text comments. Mm. And just as an aside, and I actually really discovered this by complete accident because I uploaded the wrong file to a text analyzer tool, namely the whole thing, rather than just one particular word question, I discovered that there are 245,000 words of free text comments in the survey. Wow. So that's, uh, initially I thought it was 200,000 or something, but it's 245,000. So that's uh, way, way more than double my PhD. And, mm. You know, it's, it's people wanted to talk. And so you get a, a real sense of these differences mm. as well. So in London, you know, the EU Londoners Hub, for example, or the Stay in Scotland initiative, you know, these things are being mentioned as, as different. Mm. And people also still, you know, to make this sound maybe not as, in some ways not quite so dire, but local attachment is still very strong. You know, people feel like Geordies or like, you know, Londoners or mixed identities. You know, there's someone who was saying, I'm a coach, uh, Londoner, coach is uh, sort of a word, cologne, you know, the yeah. beer coach. Um, so those sorts of things are, are there. But I, mean, I recognise that. Yeah. I feel, I'm very attached to. Mm. I'm very attached to Excel and Sonshiel, where, where, where we're in Excel now, and I, I, I live in Sonshiel before this, and it's only a few hundred metres away. Yeah. You know, I'm I, yeah, I'm very attached to this part of uh, this part of Brussels, and to and to. Well, it's, to, it's to, like to we've Brussels discussed all along. It's it's been a recurrent theme in our conversations. Has been that identity is complex and multi-layered, um, and at least it is it is on our side. And the people on the other side don't want it to be. They would rather that it wasn't. They would rather see it in monochrome. Mm. And, um, and it's not for us. Um, and that's the, that's the problem. I think it's worth stressing, though. I mean, the government must think that, you know, I, other people are sort of after them. I, I wish they were right. I want them to yeah, be right yeah, that everything absolutely. is fine, you know. But the bottom line is all this rhetoric around it works for most. This is not about what works for most. It has to work for everyone mm. because every single of these people are already at home in the UK. You know, this is, you know, just not okay. And the reality is the, the longer the government pretends that this is isn't happening or doesn't matter or whatever, the more problems there will be in future for a future government. This will haunt 
But this well, is a, you know, whoever's in power for a very long time. This is what I really don't get about the government approach to it, is that it's, it's a sort of cost-free win-win yeah. for them to take this stuff on board and fix it. Because, you know, they go into negotiations and say to the EU side, we've listened to your citizens and we've fixed... Every, and, and, we, and we've fixed... We've taken... We've done all the recommendations. Mm. Um... They wanted an identity card, so they wanted a, a self-state, a physical proof. So we've we've, we've given them a card that'll do physical proof. Uh, there are certain uh, groups that have been identified as particularly vulnerable, so we're putting lots more money into particularly those groups, and so on and so forth. You know, so they could take this on and they'd get a win in negotiation. This would be hugely disarming. I don't know if you remember, but when Ukraine started negotiations with the EU after the Orange Revolution a long time ago, basically the first thing they did was give visa-free travel to. EU citizens, mm-hmm. and it completely fucked up the EU side because yeah. it to- totally ruined the negotiating, yeah. uh, the negotiating strategy. Because that was something that, that you know, visa facilitation was something they were open to for to give, to give the Ukrainians, but they wanted to they wanted uh, uh, lots of lots of stuff from 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 Ukraine on the other side. And Ukraine said, "Well, we've done our side. That's one hundred percent." Um, so over to you guys. So it would be a boon for that. It's already pri- surely it's already priced in. I understand they want to look they want to look tough on immigration, you know, tough on foreigners. That's what they do. Um, but this is priced in. I mean, the promises were made in the Leave campaign. Yeah, there weren't a yeah. load. There weren't a load of people during the Leave campaign saying, "No way, EU citizens can fuck off." Okay, there was some of the far right, but there was nobody in the campaign. Nobody who's in Parliament was no, saying that. The, you know, ministers, people who are now ministers, were saying nothing. You know, nothing, nothing will change. change. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, I mean, so we're, we're already very far removed from from that promise, obviously. But Steve, what you are saying is is really important to me because. It unfortunately suggests to me that this actually now is a certain level of maliciousness because yeah, I just yeah, cannot um, explain it in a different way. This would you be, wouldn't do it that you wouldn't the, do it well, like I mean, this never if it mind wasn't, the human perspective. If people don't want to think about that, just strategically, mm. you know, it's it's not very clever because this would be such an easy win. And actually, this might bring us to the amendments that went through the House of Lords uh, earlier this week. This is a real opportunity for an MP for MPs in a still, despite the Tory majority, extremely divided country to actually unite over something that should be completely uncontentious. It should be a no-brainer. It should Absolutely. be a no-brainer yeah. Yeah. indeed, because it was promised in the way in 2016, and everyone keeps saying that they support citizens' rights. So act, it. it's two very simple things. I mean, my expectation is that it will not succeed. But what message is that sending? Yeah. What what victory have people made if they turn this uh, down why you know you could unite over one thing which is very basic and simple the human question that's all this is and actually nobody is suggesting that all of this gets ditched or that suddenly we open up free movement again or something it's not about that two simple amendments one is the physical proof um, uh, of the status which wouldn't just help eu citizens although really important, give them trust, security, but also businesses and employers, banks and everybody because it makes it easier, prevents discrimination. And then the second part of uh, the other amendment is about the system itself to change it to what's called a declaratory system. 
it brings it closer to the promise, to a sort of automatic registration. But the key thing is it does away with the deadline. Yeah. And this is the absolutely important thing. For as long as there is a deadline, I am absolutely 100% sure that in 2021, people will, people will slip through and we will have unlawful EU citizens in the UK. And what that means is full force of immigration law, and that includes deportations. Who would not wish to prevent that? Hmm. This is the potential of a Windrush scandal or type scandal like that on steroids, as the House of Commons also attested in a report in the last uh, parliament. Um, so, you know, you would be foolish, anybody would be foolish not to go for it. So that's, of course, what they're bound to be yeah. doing. But, the, only thing, the, yeah. only thing, the only thing I can think is that they've looked at the, uh, they've looked at the public, public opinion among their, among their voters and uh, I'd think that it, it it has a neutral neutral impact, or 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 maybe a negative. Maybe it has a negative impact among racists who just want everybody to be treated. Who want who want the the, the uh, uh, hostile environment for 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 absolute absolutely everybody. Maybe that I, I mean well, because I can't because I can't see any other reason. It's 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 it's, it's Rational self-interest would suggest they shrugged their shoulders and went, all right, we'll do it that way. I mean, even though, even if that was your view, you know, the fallout from not doing it, you know, the impact on local communities in terms of costs, if nothing else. I mean, I don't like measures in cost terms, really. They just don't care, though. But I know, but this is the thing, <laughs> because they don't actually have to deal with yeah, the fallout. Absolutely. You know, it's local communities families and you know very individual people who have to deal with the fallout so at schools um, and local businesses you know and, yeah, which reminds me of one point about the the settled status survey i would encourage everyone to think about it um in this way Sa settled status doesn't come in percentages or representativeness of cases it comes in individual lives and that's the only measure right everyone was promised that they would be fine everyone should be fine absolutely let me just um, add to that. You're talking about cases slipping through um, in a year or so um, and, and that there's a high likelihood of that. Um, let's just think a little bit. You know, where will we be at that point? Um, we're likely to be... Well, we may have some kind of skinny trade agreement between the UK and the EU by the end of the year. I think it's pretty unlikely, but I get, we may I have some... I think there'll be a bare bones one, I think. There'll be yeah, there's some, some, some kind of bare bones thing, but that's presumably not going to be the end of the story. And even if it is just a bare bones one, that's the point at which you'll, you're then going to have the ratification process. Now, if, if it is an absolute bare bones trade agreement with, with nothing more to it, then it's, like, okay, it's likely that it won't have to be ratified by all the member states individually. Uh, it'll just have to be uh, ratified by the European Parliament. You're going to need the Parliament, but yeah, you're absolutely. still going to need that. You know, it is going to be a political issue around the EU, and when you know, when as is unfortunately kind of inevitable, uh, you start getting the stories in the national press and the various EU member states about the way that EU citizens yeah. are being treated yeah, by the British absolutely. government. And then you because there'll be, there'll be somebody of every nationality yeah. talking to them. You know, that's not an environment right in which you're likely to get backing for the deal that you so desperately need. And by that point, it will be clear that we desperately need it, even if people think now that they can take it or leave it. Yeah. So, you know, there are yeah. all sorts, as, as Steve was saying, there are all sorts of reasons. Um, and it's a chance to reset. It's a chance to reset with 
in the big negotiations with EU27, it's a chance to reset with EU citizens and reset with people who care about you, who care about EU citizens as well. Exactly as you said, you know, they talk about bringing the country back together and stuff. And this is a, you know, this is one one way in which to one way in which to do it. And and. I mean, they're going out of their way to avoid doing that. So. Well, I think Brandon Lewis in particular, um, in an interview the other day, sort of said, well, I, I'm not, actually not interested in this question, something like that. It was sort of like, yeah, I'm not, I can't, you know, I, that's not a direct quote. I'm not quite sure what mm. exactly he, the wording was, but sort of like, Ugh, you know, I'm not looking into this. I'm not interested. That's not how it works. I mean... It just isn't, because the fallout from this will be fundamental if it's not sorted. And, and it's, if Chris it's, says EU27 EU will care about this and the European yeah. Parliament will care, will care, will care I mean, about it. I mean, at this point, I just want to say, not to um, kind of take away from this really, but I want to say just on record, and I've said this many times before, the EU has also made errors in this now. It's very clear, and they need to be called out just as much. And I'm talking in particular here to Guy Verhofstadt, so if by some chance you're listening, um, you know, listen up. Nice tweets are not the same as right actions, and um, I'm very unimpressed with some of the things that have happened. More critically, the fact that EU citizens are being treated without respect and not well in the UK should never, ever translate in the same happening to British citizens in the EU. Um, and I'm seeing some developments there that I'm not very impressed oh, by. Oh, really? Yeah, in France, I believe, there have been some discussions around taking away certain rights. So stop it. This is not a game about who can fuck people over the most. Yeah, let me be very blunt about this. This is a human question and it needs to be treated with uh, respect. Uh, and if the EU you know, doesn't want to give the UK a populist victory on a silver platter. It also has to be better than this. Um, we know where this comes from. It comes from the UK. Yes, it was triggered by the referendum. So we know where the fault lies in terms of the initial uh, issue and making people bargaining chips. Yes, but it's moved on now and the EU also has some questions to answer. I think there's a, there's a, there's a real issue about the asymmetry between how much the, the two sides care about the citizens involved this is um so you have and the uk side doesn't care doesn't care about, yeah, sure. about about uk citizens in the eu they basically think it's our problem and e27's problem to mm -hmm. to deal with because they see eu citizens in the uk as a problem to be dealt with um and therefore there's the the, the projection on projection onto that at the same time they know that the they know that the twenty seven do give a shit about it, and that's why it's useful as a bargaining. And that's why it's they think it's useful as a as a as a bargaining chip. But it but it really isn't. You either do it properly and get a bit of goodwill, and negotiations can move on from that, and it doesn't damage long term negotiations, or you don't, and it seriously damages long term mm -hmm. negotiations. It's pretty mm -hmm. it's pretty binary about mm -hmm. that. And that's the big misjudgment. Even just in negotiating terms, even aside from the human or moral yeah. <laughs> question, yeah, yeah, yeah. even just in negotiating terms. But well, that does leave the—I'm not defending the EU side here at all. But what it does leave the EU side with is a quandary because either it takes its response to the UK out of uh, the citizens' rights arena and it responds in other ways in negotiations, but that has its problems as well because negotiations don't tend to. Uh, to work like that and, and uh, you know, retaliatory measures and so on 
work in the same you know tend to work tend to work in the in in the same area um and they can't do it with citizens and they can't do it with the citizens themselves so it's so it's it's hard to see how they can how they can respond in that respect eu visa policy eu mobility policy has a very strong grounding in the principle of reciprocity that's the way yeah. it's been all along yeah. and actually in terms of uh, well I'm, I'm not a lawyer but i, I I know the politics of it. it. It is very... I I can't see the EU breaking away from the principle of reciprocity yeah. in this area. Yeah. And it, it's it's right there in the in the guidance that was yeah. issued by the Commission about um, travel to the EU yeah. uh, and, and the, the, the UK after Brexit. It's right there. It says, well, look, you know, we intend... In principle, we, we intend to allow... Uh, free movement for UK uh, travellers on tourist visas uh, for up to a period of six months after Brexit. But this if is entirely dependent yeah. on reciprocity. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the second that the UK changes the rules for our citizens, then we will match. And this is completely yeah, the point, to be that. Yeah, completely yeah, point with, free, with free movement for EU citizens resident here as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the, we know that that was offered to the UK government. And the UK government shrugged their shoulders and said, we yeah. didn't give a shit. I mean, but it goes we're not, we're not giving you anything for that. It's a principle that, 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 that once you've got that in the context of movement uh it, it you can see why then that's going to be a, 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 a applied right across yeah. the board also by the member states in, in member state competence stuff and that's the principle by which the eu does these things and that, fair enough you know fair enough well i think but, it's different though if it applies to people who already exercise you know who are already in it so i have still some questions i mean i yeah. agree in, in general but there's a difference to me, a big difference between future things and, you know, yeah. people now. Um, and there's a, difference yeah. across me- there's a difference across member states as well. So the Constitution of, the, the Constitution of Belgium, I think it's Article 2 of it, if I remember right, maybe it's even the first article, is that uh, all people must be, treated, must be treated equally. So on this basis, I have, I have my registration, I have my ID card, my Belgian ID card here. I'm treated equally. I'm on, there's a, I'm on a different register to, to Belgian citizens. Um, and it's a card E. So that means to anybody who needs to know, uh, that I have the right to live here as a, as a, as an EU citizen, I'm exercising freedom of movement rights. Um, <clears throat> but the process of applying for this is exactly the same as getting an ID card. Uh, if you're a non-EU non EU, uh, national, if you're a, uh, or, or if you're if you're a Belgian uh, national, now the requirements are different. Of course, it has different different visa policies and stuff like that, like like any country. Um, the difficulty, I think, comes in countries that don't have yeah, that kind of built-in yeah. ID system and they don't have this guarantee of quality and so on. And actually, I mean, France is turning out to be quite a. a, a difficult case on this because everyone thinks France is an overly bureaucratic centralised system but actually you know you don't have to you don't get a have to get a card when you move to France as an EU as an EU citizen you don't have to do much in the way of registration and, and, and so on so well, we're, <laughs> we're all learning about the challenges that come with not enough bureaucracy aren't we yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, 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 been very yeah. Yeah. Very I mean that, yeah. you could argue that the entire problem arose because uh, because of the fact that the British didn't want to introduce ID cards and keep a track well, of I mean people. it's true though because if yeah. there had been an existing yeah. you know the case for anything like yeah. this you know we are we're guinea pigs yeah. for many ways I mean including the digital yeah um, the digital um, status you know it's meant to be the case like digital for everyone i.e. every immigrant in future 
And that might well be. I still have lots of questions about that. There's also the huge issue of data protection, which is essentially wiped out for anybody who remotely looks yeah. like an immigrant. And that's another very serious concern that comes out in the survey as well, for example. Um, but... Yeah, at this point, all of this applies only to EU citizens, and that's what makes it so potentially really dangerous because you have one group that sits completely outside everything, really, because there's a very separate process, and it just can't work. I think yeah. on, a, on a personal level, I've really found out how hostile the hostile environment is yeah. as a result of this as well. You yeah, know? I mean, because it's, it's never been yeah. a, it's never been it's never been an issue. Belgium's immigration policy has never been an issue for me because I was an EU citizen, so it didn't make any. It didn't make a difference. And yeah, we knew about the UK. We knew about the hostile environment, the go home vans, and I, I knew that it. I knew that it was a, 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 sh- a shitty deal, and I knew that it was expensive. But you know, through looking into this and talking to people about immigration more generally in the UK, I, I mean, I had no idea how how expensive and shit the yeah. the system is. And this, I mean, this definitely contributes to the. Uh, to the fear for fear for the future. I mean, you've sure. got you've got a home office that is utterly unfit for purpose that is creates hell for for mm. basically it creates hell for immigrants mm. and you know uh, people changing into a category where they where they're essentially administered by this by this department yeah. is naturally yeah. super scary. And I mean, one thing just to before. Chris gets really hostile if we keep blabbing on <laughs> about things. But Chris um, is looking a little bit tired now. Yes, <laughs> that's why I'm saying that. But um, the, the one other thing is really important. Just a final word: if anybody talks to you about the success of the settled status scheme, we cannot measure this now at all. Why? Because we don't actually really know how many EU citizens there are in the UK. The 3.6 million is a figure often shared. Many embassies have a figure that's much higher as an internal um, estimate. But in any case, there are also family dependents, and we don't really know the exact figures. And that's why I'm thinking of it now, because those are non-EU EEA Swiss citizens, so they could come from many different places. Some of them I've seen in the survey are former colonial or processions or overseas territories, um, but they are legally in the UK because they're also EU citizens, not because of any other connection. So if they need to apply for settled status or do something else to remain lawful, do they even recognize themselves as EU citizens? Would they even remotely see mm. themselves as having to apply? So in terms of the hostile environment, you know, at a minimum, you know, 3.6 million, but as I've just explained, quite probably more people are being sucked into this. And do the rules on family I'm, reunion apply to... It, well, there are... Because there are, they're dreadful. I mean, it's a yeah, dreadful regime for there, family there reunion, are, no? Yeah, there are some, some things in the withdrawal agreement that yeah, limit some of that, but yeah, there are provisions in that. Mm. Um, but the, uh, the bottom line is this. We can't assess the success of any of this at this point. Also, everyone who has the lesser so-called pre-settled status, at the moment I think it's 900,000 people, <laughs> Um, they all have to apply again yeah. uh, at their individual point at which they're eligible. So normally it's a residency thing only. Um, so five years residence. So if someone applied yesterday and they've only been here for a week, it's pretty much five years. So before then, we won't know. Um, Set an iCal reminder. For, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. it's not automatic. So th- what I'm saying is there are, well, or will be in the end, probably well over a million individual cliff edges that we do not know 
because nobody keeps a register yeah. of this centrally. Oh, well, I mean, maybe the Home Office has a list of what the dates are, but that wouldn't be published, obviously. So we cannot speak in any way of a success measure no. at this point. So if you see Home Office tweets that are like, yay, 2.75 million have a, uh, applications are in, first of all, there's double counting in that, but the separate question. But it just, <laughs> yeah, because they're counting transitions from pre-settled to settled uh, yeah, status yeah. as well, for example. So it's lower than that. But, I mean, that's, you know, dodgy, but it's not the main issue. The main issue is, at this point, we just can't say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So anyway, uh, it's not a very cheery thing, but none of this is very cheery. But mm. um, if I, you know, let me say one thing, because that came out in the survey a bit as well to wrap up my part. But one of the very simple things that comes out from the survey is that many EU citizens feel that people just don't care. And I know that's not true, but I also know that personally only a handful of people have ever asked me if I'm okay. Yeah. So here's a very simple thing. If you have an EU citizen friend, have you ever asked them if they're okay? Stop saying it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. It's already not fine. Yeah. Just ask them if they're okay. Mm. On that, you know, I want to share a little anecdote. <laughs> I'm not. By the You're way, by the way, am I that transparent? They're both looking at me, thinking, "Oh God, we better wrap up." He's getting, he's getting irritable. No, look, I want to share a little anecdote. So, I, um, as, as as regular listeners will know, I travel each week between the UK and Belgium. Um, that's that's my weekly commute, and on usually on a Monday night, I drive from the UK to France through the tunnel. Uh, I, I take the shuttle and go through um, passports. So um, the UK now check passports as you leave. They have done for the last year or so. And um, so there's a UK, there's a police um, checkpoint, basically, mm -hmm. uh, and, and they'll have a look at your passport. And they often will stop and ask questions. And sure enough, last night I, I pulled up and I produced my passport and... The police officer sitting there asked me the usual questions. Where are you going? Why are you going there? What do you do there? Is it business or pleasure? Do they really um, ask you all that? Oh, yeah, no, they ask all that. Well, and, you're you're um, travelling on a British passport, no? Well, um, well I, either a British or a German passport. Either way, they still ask it. Um, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. have a right of entry. Anyway. You, sorry. We've had a sorry. long discussion sorry, about Chris, this before, sorry. which is... Yeah, um, have, which, yes. And it is a highly irritating and impertinent, but I'm used to it now, and this is what they do. And, I mean, I think that this is a fight that, you know... I'm for there, another day. Yeah, for yes. another day, yeah. Um, but what was different last night was that the... Um, policeman took a look at my passport asked me what I did I said I'm a, I, I generally say I'm a civil servant I don't say but he said well, who, for who so I said well for the EU and when I said that he, he said um, he said it must be a busy time for you guys I knew what he was referring to and I said well no it, it's, it's business as usual but indeed we're all sort of very conscious of the strange times in which we live and he sort of gave me a I would say a very sympathetic, kind look. And he nodded at me and he said, yeah, strange times indeed, and all the best to you. And it was that, that was little lovely. piece That's of nice. human kindness yeah. mm -hmm. where you don't expect it. That made all the difference. So I just wanted to say that because what you said really struck a chord, Tanya. You know, if, if you see somebody that's vulnerable, don't tell them it's going to be okay. You know, don't offer them false you know, assurance. Don't, don't pretend that you know what... Just, just show some kindness. Just say, yeah. you know what... 
I'm with you. You know, I, I support you. I'm, I'm thinking of you. Um, I, I want you to be okay. Not you're going to be okay, but I hope you're. I hope you're going to be okay, because that means such a lot to people when they yeah. get that. It's not patronising. And listen to their response rather than telling them. Yeah, listen. Yeah, to yeah. Their it's not about you. It's about them. So if you can show those people that it is about them, that you're genuinely interested and concerned for them, not for defending your particular politics. Uh, that I think is is something that can make a lasting impression. So I just wanted to to share that. Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was I was really struck. By, I was surprised and, and, and quite moved actually. Yeah. Well, it also proves though that you know making assumptions never works. I mean, you know, I remember many instances where. certain, for want of a better word, I'm going to say it now, type of person was walking towards me and I was 100% convinced they were a Brexiter and turned out not to be. So just stop this rubbish, you know, Mm. and even if they had been. I mean, I know this is a particularly difficult question and I'm probably going to sit myself uh, in in some kind of fire pit or something by saying it. Oh, don't do it on cakewalks. I know, know. oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The fire pit or say it? I mean, you know, this is also really a different discussion for another time. But I want to say that I can, of course, understand that, you know, if someone's actually sort of like attacked you or something, you're not going to be kind to them. (laughs) Why would you be, you know? So I'm not thinking kindly, definitely not, about any of the people who sent shit to me or, or whatever, and worse than that. So, no... But that doesn't mean I have to stroke every Brexiter with a brush of that they are like that. And I know this is not the phase just yet that we're in, but we have to find a way of of still talking to people. Um, and there is no recipe for this. I'm not making, trying to convince someone of doing something they don't want to do. It's not about that. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, I know there's a lot of, hate already everywhere and my line has always been that Brexit is built on the foundation of hate I guess all I'm saying is let's not accidentally do the same ourselves Um, and this is really difficult, I get it and we don't, you know, it's it's another discussion Mm. but that's the sort of message maybe I I find is very important But it's it's so true about not making it's so true about not making assumptions about people. I mean, this is we've had Remainer now on before, which is all about not making assumptions about people. But I, I mean, we've all got a personal one. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a bar on the corner at the top of the, the block of the, on this on this road, and um, in the summer, people, you know, it's got it's got tables outside. It's it's continental cafe culture, you know, the kind of thing. And um, there's a guy, a very loud Englishman, who drinks there. Um, and who often wears a Chelsea shirt and is late middle-aged uh, with a shaven head, rather large, and in the summer uh, a, a bit a bit sweaty and loud and drinking. And I always gave the place a wide berth as a result of, you know, one of the Brits abroad that you, you'd, not, you'd rather not you'd rather not run into. Um, and I saw him on the morning after the referendum. I was walking, walking past the bar, and I saw him and thought, oh, I don't know, because I bet he, I bet he's a lever, and I just don't want to talk to anybody. And he saw me from across the road and ran across the road through traffic and put his arms, arms around me and gave me a huge hug and said, what are we going to do, Steve? What are we going to do? You know? And was almost in tears. And so don't make assumptions about people because yeah. uh, they'll be wrong. But, you yeah. know. but, I mean, the thing is, even in the cases where they're not wrong, you know, what what is 
helped? You know, this is always my question. And I know sometimes it doesn't work like this. So I'm not naive. You know, mm. I've seen so much. Uh, uh, crap that you know. I, I know the. Oh, crap, on Twitter, that. anytime, anytime you say anything, anything about not being horrible, you get accused of, of telling people to hug a fascist. Well, and all but this but kind then, like yeah. this, I, I get you know, I get that to a certain point. I mean, I'm German. I know what happens mm-hmm. if the shit he really hits the fan, and a country goes in such a meltdown that it, you know, collectively with in terms of collective responsibility, you know. Launches concentration camps, uh, and that has to do with looking away and therefore effectively yeah. kind of hugging a, f- yeah. a fascist. So, I, I get that, but you know, the, the bottom line remains my hate point. You know, I'm, what, what is it helping with? So, this doesn't mean I'm asking people to hug every Brexit. It's not <laughs> no, about you know, it's not about that, but it's just about come up with a way that allows people to still voice their views and not, you know. I mean, I'm going to give you maybe another, even possibly more contentious example, but while we're at it, might just as well do it. And maybe Chris is now asleep again, then we really have to stop. But uh, he's, he's <laughs> no, we do have to stop. Yes, I, mean, I know. I, we do have but, to stop. Uh, you know, the bong thing is something that everybody was outraged about, yeah? I'm sorry to say, but I think the flag on the cliffs of Dover is exactly the same thing, only it's ours, so it's fine or what? Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Um, and that probably made me very unpopular now, but that's what I believe, you know. Uh, the hypocrisy I've seen sometimes, in my view, is not helpful. So maybe, you know, as an uncontentious point, you know, the question is, is it helpful or is it is it not helpful? Um, Absolutely, that's always the question. I just want to say that I'm totally 100% behind the flag on the cliffs of Dover. I thought that was a fantastic gesture, <laughs> and I'm a it's big like, fan of my donkeys. <laughs> that's not, no, I don't mean that. I mean on the 31st. Oh, Oh, I don't know about that. I, you see, I've been deliberately yeah, avoiding it. Yeah, there you it. go. Yeah. What, what flag on the cliffs of Dover? Oh, I think it's a flag, but someone wanted to... Project some project ridiculous... Project EU flag or something. Well, we're, we're, we still love Europe. Oh, but that's great. Like that. That's fantastic. I'm all in favour of that. I What's just... the difference between that and the bong thing? Well, it's right with the EU. We're, we're right and they're wrong. That's not how it works. Did you listen to anything I said? <laughs> I, I, I faced that age. Chris has been right. asleep for the last yeah, we, 10 we minutes. Have to wrap it up. Anyway, you know, this was not a lecture. It's my personal view. People yeah. can obviously disagree. But I think we should try a little bit more. Um, well, I, we could keep going for ages and ages. Uh, and we probably will, um, obviously. But um, we need to wrap up the podcast. It's been going on for a really long time. Um, thank you, Tanya, for... Being here. Thank you for having yeah, me again in person. Yeah. Um, I want to dedicate the podcast to our friend Andy. Yeah, Bonard, absolutely. Um, who left us yesterday? Who were both colleagues of me. He was in my. I was in the same unit as him for yeah. four years, and you've been in the EF with him for a long time. Well, we've known each other for many years. We've yeah. known each other for many years. Um, He's a lovely guy. And on on that, let's wrap up. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Good night. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye.